You guys ready for the word today? Awesome. Good deal. Let's pray one more time and we'll dive in. Father, we thank you today for your word. God, we are a people that believe, God, literally every word of it, wholeheartedly. God, we choose to be people that don't pick and choose. But, Lord, we just believe it. God, we believe today that you said what you meant and you meant what you said. And so, Lord, we just open up our hearts wide and expect, God, today to receive from you. And, Lord, we don't expect just to uh, receive from you today, God, just, uh, you know, so we can just kind of let it go in one ear and out the other. But, God, we expect it to land in our hearts, God, and to produce fruit and produce life change so we can greater serve you in greater measures. And so, Holy Holy Spirit, thank you for filling this house today. Thank you for filling every heart. And uh, thank you for just opening just spiritual ears to hear what you would say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, today we're going to start a new series that we're calling this. We're calling it Rethink Church. Rethink Church. Now, as the title suggests, the purpose of the series is, is pretty straightforward. What we want to do is we want to intentionally take a step back, not only as individuals, but also as a collective group, and we want to begin to reassess, reconsider, rethink, uh, really an answer to one question. That one question is this, is what is church? What is church? Can somebody turn to your neighbor and say, what is church? Don't be weak on me today. All right, here we go. Listen, over the years I have heard a lot of answers to that question of what is church. And I'm sure you have too. You know, but most people, they say that church is nothing more than a building with a cross on it. Then there's others that point, they say, man, church is just an institution. It's just some religious organization. While there's others that, you know, proudly point to a specific denomination or maybe to a certain day of the week, or maybe they point to a pastor they like, or maybe some people say, man, church is just, man, we get together and we sing a song list, or maybe it's a sermon that we're going to listen to. And then there's those people that uh, say church is just, rituals and traditions that are somehow systematically followed uh, over an hour. And then there's those people that go, man, churches, and they'll name a program or they'll name a ministry or they'll name an activity. And, and then there's those people that we all really love that says church is nothing but a bunch of brainwashed people that believe in a bunch of legalistic rules, right? And, and then there's uh, the last one up there. It's my favorite that, uh, you know, church, they, they just want all your money. Anybody ever heard that one before? Oh, man, that's hilarious. Anyways, so my question today, just kind of setting this up, is what would happen if we allowed the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, to begin to clarify and answer that question for us? What would happen if we allowed the Holy Spirit to take inventory of the way that we think and the way we view church? What would happen if we allowed the Holy Spirit to begin to move in our life and begin to sort out what's of Him and what's not of Him? Listen, I don't know about you, but I think that would be a really good thing. Yes? Yes, because listen, we definitely live in a nation that's got a lot of opinions and a lot of them are wrong. Yes? So, so listen, in this series today, we're, we're not going to go real long, but what I want to do is I want to start really on a foundational level, and I just kind of want to build over the next few weeks. So if I don't say something today that, that you're passionate about, hold on, it may come next week or the week after, all right? I want to simply do this. I want to give you some basic thoughts, kind of get our minds and our hearts kind of rolling in a certain area, okay, or a right direction. So I want to start today by looking at a real familiar verse. Uh, I want to look at Matthew sixteen eighteen. Matthew sixteen eighteen. Very well-known passage, like I said. In this, in this verse, Jesus says uh, some really powerful things, and I want to basically start in kind of the middle of it. But, but it says this. It says, and on this rock, this is Jesus talking. In other words, this rock, uh, a lot of people say that's Peter. If you know the context of the whole thing, it's not talking about Peter, but it's talking about the revelation that Jesus is the son of the living God, that he is the Christ. So Jesus is saying upon this revelation, he says, I will build my church. Who's going to build the church? It's Jesus, right? And what has he said? He said, I will build my 
church. That is so huge. It is not our church. It is his church. Amen. And so when he builds his church, guess what happens? It says the gates of Hades or the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's a great verse, isn't it? So listen, in this verse, Jesus is saying that he's going to establish or he's going to build his church. Don't miss this. That he's going to build it in his way. That's huge, right? That's huge that we understand that he's going to build his church in his way. It's almost like this. It's almost like you go to build a house and somebody builds it in their way, not the way you wanted it. It wouldn't be cool, would it? So listen, it's sitting there saying basically he's going to build his church in his way. And when he does that, that the kingdom of darkness will prove not to be more powerful, nor will it be victorious against it. That's a good promise, wouldn't you say? So, so listen, if we realize or not, this promise speaks to the authority of Jesus in the church. You understand? He's speaking to the fact that he is the head and we are the body. And it's also this amazing promise, this, that as the church, guess what? We have power, right? The church is powerful. The church is not weak and feeble, amen? But the church is powerful. So I want to simply ask you this morning a few questions, but... First one is this, is do we still believe that promise right there that the gates of hell will not prevail? Do we still believe that that promise holds true for our generation? Do we believe that? Amen. Listen, so let let me ask you this. Do we still believe that the kingdom of light is greater than the kingdom of darkness? Absolutely. Listen, if we still believe that promise still holds true, and if we still believe that greater is he that is in us than he is in the world, then we need to ask ourselves this. Are we still prevailing... Over the enemy to the degree that has been promised. Listen, are we, as the church of the living God, are we still prevailing, guess what, to the degree that we have been called to? You know, in my opinion, and and obviously you can't say this about everybody, but for many believers in many congregations, the answer is unequivocally no. Right? It's, it's not. Now, now, listen, I will say this. You know, we, we probably aren't as powerful and as effective as we could be. And I will say this for this church. Now, I'm saying, I'm preaching this today as far as for the church. Not really aiming it at us, okay? Just, just a broad view here. But I will say this about us. I, I don't think we, are, we, as this church, are as powerful and as effective as we will be. Amen. In other words, listen, it's kind of this idea, and we may talk about this some other time, but our tomorrow isn't determined by our yesterday. To understand as, as a church, listen, where we are at today is not where we're going. Okay, we haven't reached the, you know, the finish line yet. In fact, somebody turn to your neighbor and say, you know, what's the old saying? Basically, collect $200 and pass go, right? There we go. It's good old monopoly, right? We're on the go. We're going to go somewhere, amen? So... Um, you know, what I want to be careful with today is, is a few things. I, I'm, I'm really concerned, not so much from people that are here all the time, because you guys know my heart, but, but people who are maybe new to here, that they're not going to hear this in the context of the balance that, that I really want to share. So just give me a lot of grace today. And I, and I want to make it really clear also that I, I don't present the church, once again, like I said, as some weak and, and some uh, feeble thing that's barely holding on to life. No, listen, we all know that there's congregations that, you know, rigor mortis has said in a long time ago when the corner has been called, right? We know there's dead churches out there, but I still think as, as a collective group as a whole, man, there's still life in us yet. Yeah. Amen. There, there's life in us. And, and the fact that, you know, all we have to do is really look around the world. Man, there's great churches making great impacts. And I thank God for those places. And, and you know, I'll say this for me. Those places aren't competition. Man, we, we celebrate those places. Amen. So let me just maybe say this to you. In my opinion as a whole, guess what? We really love God, and as a church, man, we want to honor God. But I feel like we've just got distracted along the way. 
And because we've got distracted, we've lost uh, sight of our identity and we've lost sight of our reason for being. And that has caused us, because we've lost sight of all of that, it's caused us to lose our influence, our effectiveness, and the power that God has uh, entrusted us with. I'll say it that way. Okay? So I want you to notice uh, something here. That promise there, once again, if you can throw up that verse again, please. Uh, the one in, in Matthew. Yep. So when it says, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Man, that should be a reminder, and I've said this a lot, but I want to say in the context of this, that when he builds his church, guess what? There's victory. And, and so what that tells us this is that when we do it God's way, I say this a lot, when we do it God's way, guess what? We get God's results. Amen? But if we, once again, if we do it our way, we're going to get our results. Because, see, in that, in that truth that, once again, if we do it his way, we get his results, the reverse is still true. If we don't do it his way, then we won't get his results. Right? And so, so that goes for us as individuals, and it also goes for us collectively as a group. And uh, let, let me maybe say this to you guys. And this isn't to, uh, don't hear this in condemnation at all, because it's definitely not the way I mean it. Uh, I, I think a lot of times people come into church, and, and they go, okay, well, let's look at people on the platform, and we expect them to carry it all. That is wrong. So I want you to notice something. You, you know, when you go back and you read the Old Testament and you have Joshua, right? They go around the walls of Jericho. Guess what happens? Falls. What happened the next time they went out to fight? They got their butts handed to them. And the reason is, is because somebody, for lack of a better term, in the church, stolen was hiding the money, right? It was aching. Are y'all following me today? In other words, what happened is if you read the scripture, God was looking at them as a whole and not just as individuals. Are y'all following me there? Okay, so go read it. Maybe it'll bring a little bit more clarification. But, but I want you to see that God looks at us as a whole, that we are all part of this. In other words, we all, we all bring something to the table every time we come to church. Amen? So I'll say maybe so it's clear that I'm not depending on the team to necessarily take me somewhere. I realize that I have a responsibility to go there myself, and collectively we get to enjoy the presence of God. Amen? All right, so what I want to do for the next few minutes, I want to uh, turn our attention to a group of people in the Bible, in the New Testament, that forgot that it was his church. And because they forgot it was his church, they were trying to build the church different than the way he builds it. Is that all right? Good deal, because it's what I got. Here we go, John 2. Look at John 2. Here we go. John 2, 13 through 19. I'm going to read out the New Living Translation. It says this, says, it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. It says, in the temple area, we'll call that the church. Somebody say the church. It says, he saw merchants settling, get these three things, cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. And it says, he also saw dealers at tables. Somebody say tables. And it says, exchanging foreign money. In verse 15, it says, Jesus made a whip from the ropes, for some ropes, and chased them all out of the temple. Listen, I want to stop there for a second. I want you to realize that Jesus didn't roll up in the joint that day, you know, just mad because he didn't have his Dunkin' Donuts coffee that morning, right? He, he, he didn't roll in there in an ill mood because he woke up on the wrong side of the bed. He didn't roll up in there, you know, he was mad at Peter, John, and James. And so now he's going to take it out on these poor souls, right? We do that. He don't do that. And, and, so, and so, you know, here he is. He rolls up in the church. And what happens is, is he understands that God has a, a non-negotiable way that he expects the church to be. And guess what? He was grieved. 
Are you with me? And out of that spot of being grieved, his response was this, what we see. We'll continue to read. It says, He drove out the sheep and the cattle and scattered the money changer coins over the floor and turned over their tables. Verse 16 says, Then, going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And then it says, Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Grab a hold of this. Passion for God's house will consume me. And it says in verse 18, but the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? Do you understand that here they are, that Jesus comes in and cleans house, and immediately what they want to do is they want to question his authority, which expresses all the more the point that they didn't know whose house they were in. Right? So, listen, we all understand uh, the obvious point of this passage. It's really simple as this, that Jesus showed up to quote-unquote church, and, and very quickly everybody in the place realized he didn't like what he found. Okay, but... I think the natural response when we read that, I've done it, I don't know if you do it, but our natural response when we read the scripture is we begin to point, as we so often do, to the Pharisees. And what we do is we somehow inwardly shake our head, you know, in disapproval of them. And, and you know, we kind of just, I don't know, it's kind of like we mumbled under our breath, you know, these guys are idiots. Right, man? You know, I mean, these guys just don't get it. Anybody ever thought that about a Pharisee? Man, I definitely have. Man, what are these guys doing? You know, to, to, to quote Pastor Brian back there, once again, how stupid can you be and still breathe? I love that line. I just like saying that, right? It's almost as good as hanging in there like a hair in a biscuit, right? It's just so good. So anyways, but here's the thing that, <laughs> that you know, here's Jesus. You know, he's in there and he just, he just doesn't like what he sees. And, and uh, you, you know, and so... What happens is we read that and somehow we just get mad at these people. But we got to ask ourselves, you know, did, did God really put, you know, was his purpose of putting this account in the Bible so you and I could somehow sit back in judgment against the Pharisees? Clearly that wasn't the point, right? In other words, why did he put it in there? And I just want to propose to you today that maybe, maybe he put it in there so we would stop long enough to evaluate ourselves to make sure we haven't become one of them. That maybe... He put in there so we would stop and ask ourselves this question. That if Jesus rolled up in the church of 2017, would he like what he finds? Listen, I, you know, I know we aren't selling cattle and sheep and doves in our foyers. But what are some things that we might be selling in his house that he doesn't approve of? Listen, I don't want to put words in Jesus' mouth. But when I read that, that he saw, to get it correctly, the merchant selling cattle, sheep, and doves. I'm going to tell you where my mind automatically went. Okay? Here's, once again, I'm not saying this is gospel. This is me talking here. But, but when I read the word cattle, cattle, my mind automatically went to Aaron, the first priest. And we know that there came a time where Moses was on the mountain hanging out with God. And there was a separation between him and Moses. We know that Moses was God's representative in between uh, God and the people, right? And, and because there was this separation there, guess what happened? The fear of man began to get in his heart. And what did he do? He's, the Bible says that he went and he began to fashion a, a golden calf, right? And, and he fashioned that golden calf for one purpose. It, it was basically this. It was his own image of God. Are you all following me today? So, listen, obviously we're not, you know, firing up the, whatever, the, the fire and saying, okay, let's make a golden calf. You know, we haven't done that. Hope not, right? If you have, uh, we'll pray for you at the end service. But, but, but uh, so we haven't done that physically, but, but what have we done in our teaching, in our thinking? You know, have we fashioned, because somehow we've been separated from God at a distance, and, and somehow the fear of man's got a hold of us and the public opinion and all that. And so what we've done is we've fashioned a, a, a gospel Right? Uh, that, that kind of fits our own version. 
right? If it's us, if it's, if it's the fear that's in us. Is that okay to say it that way? So in many ways, I think it appears that uh, we've taught and we believed a gospel of convenience. Is that okay to say that? The gospel of convenience, that somehow it lacks the call to true discipleship. It lacks the call to true obedience. It lacks the call to true holiness, to true self-sacrifice, to true servanthood, to true commitment. And watch this. It even, it even is a false version and a false gospel of what love really is. And I'm going to tell you why. It's because this is because the gospel that's being preached today is so self-centered. And, and the love of God, the Bible says in Mark 10, 45, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is the love of God in action. Amen. So what they think is, is God, it's really not. There's pieces of it, sure, but the whole thing is not. So let, let me ask you this. What happens when people believe a false gospel. I'm going to tell you what happens. Uh, we end up producing false sheep. And, and what happens is, is the church ends up being full of people that have a form of godliness but deny the power. And what happens is, 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 is with these people that are, that are now you know, bought in and sold into this false gospel, now they become a false sheep. And how do we know they're false? Because when the rubber meets the road, they're not that much different from the world that they're called to reach. Yeah. Is that not true? So listen, when the church is full of a false gospel and is producing a false sheep, listen, the outcome is inevitable. It's going to be people that are having experience, uh, a, a false experience with the one who is what? The, uh, the symbolism of the one who is the dove, who is the Holy Spirit. Am I communicating that okay? So it's kind of like this. The experience might affect their intellect and it might uh, even touch their emotions. But at the end of the day, we've got to ask the question, man, are these people encountering the real Holy Ghost? Are they really being led and empowered by the Spirit of God? Because when you look at this account here, all three of those areas, cattle, sheep, and doves, all of them were, were nothing more than an imitation of the real thing. They're all in imitation. And, and so it's kind of like this. I don't know about you, but for me, man, I want the real thing. You know, my heart for our church is, man, that we would, we would get the real thing. As a nation, we need the real thing. We, we, don't, we don't need to keep producing whatever false gospel, false believers, and, and a false experience. Man, we need Jesus. Amen? We need him. So, li- listen, uh, how many of you know there when we read that scripture that cattle, sheep, and dove weren't the only thing that Jesus encountered that day? He also encountered some tables. And this is really where I want to sit today, okay? And just kind of, kind of uh, for the purpose of this, I'm not saying that it's us, but I want us to think. I just want us to think and go, Lord, is, is any of this in me? And it's really, it's really about heart motives here, okay? You know, is it possible that we've allowed tables to creep into our church culture that are unknowingly to us, not of God? In other words, it's this, that we're so used to seeing them that somehow we think they're normal, but they really didn't originate from him. You, you know, is it possible that we've allowed some, some tables to creep into our hearts and, uh, you know, take up residence, set up shop there? And once again, unknowingly to us that they're now robbing us, not only of our effectiveness, but here's the greater thing, they're robbing us of our intimacy with God. So today, I just think this, it's, uh, if Jesus walked into the church once again in 2017, what kind of tables would he find people sitting at? What kind of tables would he want to flip over today? I think there's four and I'm going to give them to you, Okay. There's probably more, but I think there's four. Here we go. Number one. Don't get scared. All right. Number one. Here we go. I think the majority of the church is sitting at the, number one, they're sitting at the table of comfort. They're sitting at the table of comfort. In other words, we're talking about God's house. What is the uh, position of their hearts in God's house? I think they're sitting at the table of comfort. 
What I mean by is, is this, and this may be a little exaggerated here, but you'll get the point. I, I, I think people who sit at this table expect a five-star experience. It, it's like they want church service to be like a great day at the spa. Watch this. Where the volume of the music and the lights are just right. Right? The temperature feels like a nice Hawaiian breeze. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. Right? L- listen, where the chairs resemble a sleep system bed. Man, you can pump it up how you want to put your number. If it's, man, if it's firm, it's firm. If it's soft, oh, it's soft. And, you know, that seat's just right. L- listen, that, that, they, that they want a sermon that, that, that's like a good massage. It relieves their stress and puts them right to sleep. Right? L- listen, that the, the service isn't too long and it isn't too short. That everything's just positive. See, see the people that sit at the table of comfort, uh, man, they don't want anything confronting or challenging. Right? It's just, man, they, they just like to, uh, everything, you know, they want to come to church, have their coffee, sit down and just relax. Right? That, that's it. They, they just want to relax. And because why? Because they want, to, they want a gospel that's the easy road. And, and they want a gospel where, where everyone is perfectly safe. And what it does, it leaves everyone right in their comfort zone. Right? That's so true. It, it's like this. The, the people at the, at the table of comfort have adopted the motto of Burger King. You can have it your way right away. So true, right? Uh, man, I, I have seen people leave churches for the stupidest reasons under the sun. If it's too cold, put a jacket on. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, listen, if the music's too loud, man, I got, a, I got a buddy at this church, and, you know, and obviously we try to be aware of all this stuff. If you're cold right now, hey, I'm sweating. So hey, we're meeting in the middle, okay? So, but, but I've got a buddy at, at their church. You walk in the door, they have a, a container. It looks like one of those candy things that you put a quarter in, a gumball machine, and it's full of earplugs. Hey, they say, we like our music loud. You may not. So we've provided this for you. Right? So here's the thing, though. It's, it's a there's this part, though, where people want to come into church and they just want everything to be perfect, right, the, the way they want it. Well, well here's what you've got to realize, guys. I go to my parents' house. They keep the temperature like 76 degrees. You can only get so naked. You know what I'm saying? Man, it gets hot, right? I mean, it's just hot in there, right? So, so there's this thing that, man, you know, I let my house cold, right? I like, I like my house cold. And, you know, it doesn't always get that way. But, hey, when you're paying those bills after a while, you, you bump it up. But anyway, so... But let me kind of bring a little balance to this. I, I don't think people should leave church week after week feeling like they've been beat up. Yeah. I don't think that's God either. And, and I don't feel like people should leave church feeling like they're a piece of trash. Not God. Okay? But, but I do want us to remember this, that Jesus came to reveal, and I've said this plenty of times here. Jesus came to reveal grace and what? Truth. Grace and truth. He came to bring both. And if we remember here, you, you know, our job is to preach the word of God. Right? That's my job. Not to give my opinions, but the Word of God. And the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that the Word of God is for what? It's for teaching. Get these words. Rebuking, correcting, and training. So teaching and training can be super encouraging. Correcting and rebuking is not. It doesn't feel good, right? But, but the purpose in that balance is this. Is that what? Is that so the man of God, so the woman of God be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What is every good work? We know that's what God's called you to. It says that in Ephesians 2.10. So, so listen. So when we look at the Gospels, understand that Jesus came to encourage and he came to correct. And the purpose was to call us higher. Right? I'll just say it this way. Any good dad in the room, there's been times where you've had to correct your kids. And there's times where you've praised your kids and encouraged them and loved on them. Can I get an amen? amen? God's the same way. 
right? And the reason you do that is because why? Because the motive is we want them to be the best version of them they can be. Amen? All right, so watch this. Let's move on. Because we have so many people sitting at the table of comfort in the church, I, I believe, my opinion, pastors have spent a lot of time trying to prepare the next table for them. And the reason is, is because they want people to come back. And, and I'm tell you, I will say this, though. I understand that a lot more now than I used to. Okay? As a youth pastor, you know, there's an element of that. But now I understand that, man, when God begins to put a shepherd's heart in you, you love people so much, you don't want them to miss out. You want what's best for them. And it hurts your heart when people just aren't consistent, don't get it. it you know, that, that, there's a breaking point in there. You go, Jesus, help me here, right? And so, so I, I understand the, the motive of what I'm about to say. I understand why they're doing it. It's just not the right way to go about it. Is that okay to say it that way? So the first one was the table of comfort. The second one that the pastors are preparing is this. It's the table of entertainment. It's the table of entertainment. The reason is because people want to be entertained. Are you all with me today? Listen, the people that sit at the table of entertainment and, 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 you know, hear this right way, they they want entertainment, not encounter. It's, It's for them, it's about production and not presence. In other words, this, Pastor, get me in there and get me out as quick as possible so I can check that box off and say I was there and I did it. And who cares if I went through a whole year and I haven't changed? Are you all following me? Who cares, that, guess what, if I'm not really encountering God anywhere? And I'll tell you what, it, it, is, it is the greatest joy as a pastor is not when you preach a good message. It's when you see people encounter God. That's the greatest joy of being a pastor when you see the light come on for them and you see true life changing people. Amen? So, listen, the truth is, is because of this table of entertainment, pastors no longer shepherd. Why? Because shepherding all the time isn't fun. It's not fun getting in people's lives and saying, hey, man, you need to change that. Nobody enjoys that. So, listen, worship leaders. They're not really anymore leading us into the presence of God. Why? Because they have 17 and a half minutes and they better be done. Because there's a countdown on the back of the wall. And man, when that thing hits, you better be finished. Now, we don't have that here, right? But there's plenty of places that do. And, and the reason is, is let, let me maybe even say this to you. I can't tell you how many times I've been in my own personal prayer time that I've went, man, I am feeling nothing. And I've been here for 45 minutes. And I've had this prevailing thought for years what if he comes in five minutes? I'll stay a little longer. Right? And, and many times what happens is, 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 guess what? If I keep pressing through, he comes. But, but so often what happens is we just rush it. Right? We check the box and we just go, well, you know, today it is what it is. But to understand, man, that we, we want the presence of God as a church. Amen? Amen. Listen, and, and this may sound really strong here, but... Because pastors aren't passing and worship leaders aren't leading real worship, they're, they're just leading music a lot of times. And, and I don't think that's their heart and their goal, but that's kind of the culture that we've adopted. Is what's happened is, is these guys are, are, are so busy trying to become entertainers. And what's happening is because they're trying to entertain people, they're becoming celebrities. Yes? And, and I'm saying this for a reason. Okay? I, I am saying this for a reason. I'm not trying to pick on nobody. But it's, it's kind of like this. I am definitely all for excellence. I'm all for creativity. I'm all for relevance. But when the Holy Spirit can't squeeze into a service because the show must go on, we got a problem, gang. Right? And so, you know, part of it as a church realizing this, that sometimes we go, man, I wish they had finished. But, man, we don't know there might be one person there that really needs it. And my Bible says that he'll leave the 99 and go for the one. And so sometimes we can't be selfish in that. 
Right? We may understand, man, this is for somebody else at the moment. And so I'm just going to believe God. God let them get it quickly. Right? So, <laughs> all right. So let me ask you this. Um, how do we know if we're sitting at this table? It's because of this. And, and I won't say it to you the way I would, um, way I want to say it but, but it. but it's this. It's like sometimes I think in the church we're more excited to hear certain speakers than we are to spend time with Jesus. Are y'all following me? That, that literally, it's like we get more excited about a band coming to town than we do about going and just worshiping in our local church. And that tells you that you're looking for entertainment. Right? I know this couple, probably two of the godliest people I've ever met in my life. Years ago, and I'm talking, I'm pro- I was probably, uh, we weren't married yet, probably 23 years old. And, and I remember uh, sitting there, and these people, I mean, they, they love Jesus. I mean, they walk with him like crazy. And I remember one of them being open and honest and said this. I, if I mentioned it, some of you guys have been him in here. But, but they got a hold of some tapes of a certain preacher. And, and what happened was is they were, they were listening to him so much, the Holy Spirit finally went, do you realize you're listening to them more than you're reading the Word? And so they backed off. Because what happened is they consumed themselves so much with that person and their speaking ability and the revelation that they like, guess what? They backed off. God hasn't, you know, I, I like secondhand stuff, but I'd rather have firsthand stuff. Amen. And God wants to talk to us and not always do someone to us. Amen. See, see, that's the mistake that the Israelites made. Moses, you go. You hear from God and you come down and tell us. I, I want to go to the mountain with Moses. Right? I want to hear what God's saying personally. So, anyways, I, you know, I remember... Uh, this was kind of awkward and painful to watch, but I have an old VHS. You guys remember those? <laughs> I, got, I got a box of them back there. I don't know if I have a VCR that works, but I got those, right? I'm holding on to them, right? So I don't like throwing stuff away. <laughs> Hoarder tendency. All right, anyway, so, so I, I got this VHS tape back there in my office. Has anybody ever heard of a guy named David Wilkerson? Yes. <sighs> okay. So, so David Wilkerson, it's like straight 1970s, kind of get a version. Keith Green was on the first half of it, and then David Wilkerson on the back half, and he's got those big old glasses that, like, you know, shaded, like it blends. Y'all remember those, right? They're big and t- Anyway, so he's up on the platform, and the, and the person announces him, and he says, Today we have David Wilkerson, and everybody's like, Wah! You know what David did? Didn't move. I think he kind of went like this. I'm not going to speak to you until you give Jesus more praise than you're willing to give me. And he went and sat down. <laughs> kind of brings the point home, doesn't it? All right, so watch this. I've got to hustle here. Because so many people are sitting at the table of comfort and the table of entertainment. Many people are rushing to this table. Remember Jesus said this. Why have you turned uh, basically God's house into a marketplace? And this is the table so many Christians are wanting to sit at. It's this. It's the table of consumerism. And, and it's really this, and, and there's a balance to this, but the people who sit at this table are only in church for what they can get. It, it's all about God meeting their needs. And, and listen, it's no different than when you read the gospel, those people that were following Jesus. Why were they following? They weren't following for what he was teaching. They weren't really wanting to be real disciples. They were following because he was giving out free fish and free bread. Oh, you can eat. <laughs> and, and let me ask a question. You, you guys that study the Bible, what did Jesus do to those people? He called them out. Right? We think Jesus is just so mild-mannered. No, he said, look, you, quit doing that. You're missing the point, right? So listen, I, I want to say today, does God care about your needs? Obviously. 
Thank God. He's a good dad, right? But we're talking about the motive of our heart. Because, see, a true relationship is this. Because I love my wife. Yes, I want her to care about my needs. But guess what? I care about her needs, too. And sometimes I don't think we care about, and I, you know, it sounds really odd and probably not theologically correct, but we don't care about the needs of Jesus. Right? You know, the needs of the church. In other words, all that. In other words, that, you know what I'm saying? Obviously, he's all sufficient. Obviously, he's perfect. But do we ever go, God, what's on your heart today? What do you want to do? Instead of just going, Jesus, I need this. Right? I, I heard somebody say one time, and I've thought about this for years. It, it kind of humbles me. But they say this. If, if basically, if God answered all of your prayers, would you change or would the world change? That's humbling, isn't it? That's really humbling. And so... But that kind of shows the mind where you're at. If you're just approaching God to what you can get, it's all about you. So, listen, today in the church, we we talk a lot about, man, come on, who needs a blessing? Who needs a promotion? Who needs more money in their bank? Who needs a new job? Can Jesus do all that? Yes. Does he he care about all that? Yes, he does. But when that becomes the focus, we got a problem. Yes, because what that teaches us is if you do this, this, and this, then God will do this, this, and this. He's not a wishing well. So let let me say this, and I really say it to this is how do we know if we've fallen into that trap? And I'm going to tell you, because this, is, this marks the church tremendously. And, and this is a, a, lot of, a lot of church growth isn't new people getting saved. It's just people swapping churches. Because there's a consumer mentality that says this, that says, guess what? If this church can't give me my, if they can't meet my needs and they can't meet my wants, then guess what? I'm packing my bags up and my kids. We're going to go to another church down the street that can meet my needs. And what happens is, is people bounce from church to church to church to church to church. And guess what? Whatever happened to, man, you, you flourish where you are planted. Yeah. It's this. I, I'm, I'm going to make fun of these guys. Yesterday, I'm cutting the grass, and I look over, and, and my father-in-law and Jen are, are uh, planting a tree. Okay? Now, I saw them dig it up briefly, and I saw how many roots came with them. Not all of them, just one big one, Right? <laughs> And, and that thing got planted, and that thing got planted in the tree. And thank God, you know, he smacked my wife in the eye with a, with a, with a shovel. It was awesome. And uh, thankfully, she don't have a black eye today. It was, it was bore out there, people, I'm telling you. But, uh, but, but it was an accident. But, but I look over, my son's crying. I mean, it was just, it was rough. So anyways. Anyway, so, so here's the thing, though. You, you know what my expectation is for that tree living? Very little, right? Very, very little. In fact, this morning I, I was in the closet and I looked out the window and I was like, I see it dying already. I mean, it was just like <laughs> leaves falling. So, so here's the thing, but, but, but that, is, that is a great picture of what it looks like. We wonder why we can't get traction with God. We wonder why we can't get the life of God in us. It's because we keep uprooting ourselves. Yeah. Right? And, and we're never getting the nutrients of the ground and letting really planting in there and say, Jesus, grow me. Right? Because what happens is, because we want to sit at the table of, of being comfortable when it gets odd. i got to run. Maybe that's where God wants you. Maybe he wants you to feel uncomfortable. Maybe he wants you to walk out of the church and go, man, I need to deal with that. Yeah? Listen, I, I think it's kind of this, and I'll say it to you this way, because I hope this brings some balance for people. Years ago, when I was living in Louisiana, you guys met Dr. Lynn, right? One day I said, Doc, can we go to lunch? And so I go out, you know, I ain't got no money. I'm hoping he's paying, right? So, <laughs> so we go to this Lebanese restaurant. So I'm sitting there, and, and, I, and I begin to tell Doc this. I say, Doc, man, I'm not growing in this church. 
I don't get anything out of what the pastor is speaking. I, I'm just struggling, right? And, and then I said this, I'm here, you're here, why do you stay? Good question, right? And, and, and then he answered me, and it showed me I was sitting at the table of consumerism. It was all about me. Because he said this, basically, Quentin, I realized basically my role in this church and I realized basically the position that the pastors have given me as far as have a voice, you didn't have some title, but, but you just understood the gift he was to the body. And so what happens is sometimes God will put us in a church because there's kids that need us. There's people that need us. You, you know, there, there's something about, and I think people underestimate this, that, that they go, well, well, I don't do nothing when I come to church. Well, it really ain't about you doing anything. It's just really about you being you. And out of you being you, guess what people are ministered to? Do you understand that when you come and there's a, a freedom in your own heart to worship Jesus, that changes the atmosphere? Right? Do you get that? So in other words, you know, so if, we, if we sit once in, once in consumerism, what's about me? What do I get out of it? You may come here all year and get three messages that speak to you. And that's okay. I'm okay with that. I think. As <laughs> long as everybody's not having the same weeks, right, I guess. So... Um, but, but there's that part of just realize, man, that you're, you're a gift from God to the church. Yeah. Amen. And if it's, if it's open up a door, give somebody a hug, man, think in your mind. Don't, don't, don't uh, devalue that. That might be the first time somebody's been hugged and loved and, and encouraged all week long. And they need it. Yeah. Yes. So value yourself in what you do and who you are. Amen. All right. Here we go. Let's... Uh, let me say this last verse here, that the people at this table, the table of consumerism, they forget that it's more blessed to give than to what? Receive. All right, here we go. Then there's another table, and I'm going to say something really quick here. There's another table that's completely different. It's the table of religion. It's the table of religion. And this is, the people who sit at this table, they put their rituals and traditions over relationships. Right? We've we got to get going here, right? It's, it's Pharisees. It's, it's that legalism, that control, and all that stuff that they understand that legalism trumps love. It trumps compassion. It trumps mercy. And, and these people rather tear down and build up. We've all encountered those people, right? And, and, and it's at the core, it's this that, once again, I quoted earlier, but that, that uh, religion, what is a form of godliness, but now it's the power. It's the power for God to change us and interact with us and all those things, okay? A few other things. Jesus said this. Jesus says that the traditions of man nullify, cancel out the power of God. So we wonder why the rigor mortis is set in. It's because they're religious, right? And, and so even look at this. If you want a great picture of this, and we'll move on. Last thing I'm going to say here is go read Luke 15 and look at the older brother. Prodigal the son, look at the older brother. That is the spirit of religion in action right there. I want you to notice something here, okay? Because we've got to say this today to bring some balance here. Uh, I want you to notice one more verse that's found in John chapter 2, verse 17. We read it earlier. But it says this. It says, Then his disciples remember this prophecy from the scripture. It says, Passion, your translation may say, Zeal for God's house will consume me. I think this is extremely important for us to understand this, that, that Jesus didn't walk into the church that day and see the mess. Because how many of you know when you got cattle? Right? I, 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 spent, I spent a good portion of my life on a farm, okay? When, when you get around cattle and you get around sheep and then there's, there's doves and they're probably not, you know, there's, it, it wasn't, uh, there's probably more pigeons probably, right, hanging out in there. And so, you know, how many of you guys know it probably stunk, yeah. right? It was messy. It was nasty. But Jesus didn't walk into his church and see the mess and say, man, forget this. I'm leaving this place. I'm never coming back. But what, watch this. What did he do? He put it back in order. Amen? 
He put it back in order. Why did he, why did he take the effort and the time to put it back in order? Was it because he was really angry? It's because he loves the church. Listen, it's because he's for the church. He's with the church. He believes in the church. And, and, and there's, uh, listen, there's no doubt that in this church, in every church in the United States, there's health, unhealthy things that happen. There's things that happen in every church that aren't of God. Why? Because we're here, right? We bring our mess with us, right? Bring our insecurities and our junk, right? But, but listen, Jesus never scrapped the whole idea because it stunk, right? And here's, where I, here's the reason I'm saying this is because the people who do, because they get mad at the, the people who want comfort and they get mad at the people who want to be entertained. They get mad at the people that want to be consumers and they get mad at the religious people. So they say, I'm leaving. I'm start a house church. It's not God. It's not God, right? So, so it's that thing of why don't people just understand if Jesus didn't leave the church, if it's his plan and he's not going anywhere and the church is going to be there, then why can't they just go, you know, if I'm so spiritual and so holy, why can't I be there and be part of the solution? Is that true? Let me close with two more verses. So here's the reason Jesus wants to bring everything back into order. It's the last one. It's because he really wants to get rid of those tables so he can invite us to his table. See, see the, the Bible says in Revelations 3.20, this is the amplified version. I didn't add anything to it. It's what it says. It says, Behold, I stand at the door of the what? Church. And continually knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him. But it means there, I will actually come and restore him and he with me. Why does he want us to invite us to his table? It's because he wants to be with us? Yes. But he also wants to restore us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me show you one other, one other verse here. Uh, if you have your Bible, turn to John 21. When we read John 2, there's actually two times Jesus cleansed the temple. We read the first one. Let me show you the other one in John 21, because I'm going to show you what he's really after and uh, when he restores the church. Oh, I know what I did. It's Matthew 21. My bad. Turn to Matthew 21. Look, I haven't had, I haven't had that little thing right there, and I didn't even use it. <laughs> Amen. Own it. Matthew 21. Actually, the... Synoptic Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all record this. So, Matthew 21. If you get there, say, oh yeah. Awesome. Let's look at verse 12. It says, Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And it says, And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind, watch this, Watch this, verse 14. Why does he want to restore it? Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, in the temple, and he healed them. Isn't that beautiful? Y'all getting that? Listen, he, he cleaned the church so people could come to him. He restored it so people could come to him. Not so they could come to the table of consumerism, the table of religion, the table of comfortable, you know, the table of entertainment, so they could come to him and he healed them. That's what we're after, Amen. Amen? We want to see some miracles, yes? Amen. Amen. You stand to your feet, please. I want to pray something simply, uh, one thing over you today. The prophecy that was about Jesus, I want to pray it over us. That God would give us a zeal for his house. Amen. If you don't mind, if you're physically able, just lift both hands. It's just in a position of receiving. Father, we pray today, God, in the name of Jesus. That those words that you spoke 
uh, God, concerning Jesus, and we know that Jesus dwells within us. God, we pray that you would give us a zeal and a passion, God, for your house. Father, we pray today, God, that if by chance... There's, uh, you know, that we are partially sitting at the table of comfort, that if we are sitting at the table of entertainment, God, if we're sitting at the table of legalism, if we're sitting at the table of tradition and religion, God, if we're sitting at the table of consumerism and that we're trying to make uh, the marketplace, make this all about us, Father, we ask, God, that you'd forgive us in Jesus' name. Father, we pray, God, just known today, but over the weeks and the weeks to come, God, that you begin to give us a proper perspective, God, of who you are, God, in the way you want to build your house and the way you want your people people to be because we know ultimately the the church is not a building it's the people we know that god and so lord we want to be the church god that you've called and uh so lord just thank you god for stirring our hearts holy spirit you have full permission to move in us and do only what you can do in us and rearrange what you need to rearrange to correct our thinking sort it out do only what you can do in jesus name amen